Live acoustic music shows are spontaneous. They're fleeting. They're damn near magical. It's a treat to behold a live show just once. But the opportunity of listening to a transformative live show again and again is quite tempting, which is why on today's show, I'm gonna do a countdown of my 10 all-time favorite live acoustic music albums. Hey, Tech family. Welcome to episode 203 of the Acoustic Tuesday Show. This show's all about bringing fun, focus, and progress to your guitar journey through my weekly Guitar Geek list, plus success stories from your fellow TAC family members. Setting goals, sticking to a routine, ensuring that you have your guitar basics down can all seem very rigid, but it doesn't have to be. Later on in the show, you're gonna meet TAC family member Pam, and she's gonna share with you how she uses the TAC philosophy to keep her routine light, fun, and effective. You're gonna meet Pam here in a bit, plus you're gonna get your weekly dose of acoustic news you can use, which includes two new homes for two infamous guitars, a D18 shootout for the ages, and so much more. First, let's go ahead and dig into the 10 live acoustic albums that you absolutely need in your record collection. Two important items of business before we dig into the album countdown. Number one, the criteria. For an album to make this list, it had to contain two things. Number one, it had to be a live recording, and number two, it had to have acoustic instrumentation. Easy enough. The second order of business has to do with the songs that I'm using in today's episode. Sometimes YouTube says, hey, you can't use that song. So in the episode, I'll refer to a song, and then magically, it's not there. That's a bummer. It's a bummer for me. It's a bummer for you, because you likely want to hear the song that I'm referring to. But don't worry, I've got your back. Along with today's episode, I've created a Spotify playlist that contains all of the songs and the albums that I'm referring to. So if a song doesn't make it in the show, and you still want to hear it, I've got your back. Just check out the Spotify playlist. You'll see the link down below. Okay, now let's dig into the countdown. Starting at number 10 is a bluegrass album. Yes, a live bluegrass album. It is Flat and Scruggs live at Carnegie Hall. Now I've got some important information about this album that I want to share with you, including some really cool factoids. Number one, it was recorded on December 8th, 1962 and released later in 1963. Here comes the cool factoids. Factoid number one, one of the luminaries in attendance of this concert was Joan Baez. Factoid number two, it was the first ever bluegrass performance at Carnegie Hall. How cool is that? So with all that being said, let's listen to a track off of that album entitled Down the Road. Now every time I get the blues, I walk the soul right off my shoes. Don't know why I love her so, gal of mine lives down the road. Holding the number nine position is an album by Doc Watson and his son, Merle. It's entitled Doc Watson on stage featuring Merle Watson. If you like hot picking, this album is for you. If you like traditional folk songs, this album is for you. If you happen to like flat picking and finger picking, yeah, this album is for you. Here's some details on the album. It was released in 1971 and recorded at Cornell University and Town Hall in New York. Now we're gonna listen to a selection off of this album entitled Brown's Fairy Blues, which shows some absolutely incredible flat picking. Let's check it out. Throw it away and he went to town See that woman and now he's down Lord, Lord, I got them Brown's Fairy Blues Coming in at number eight is an album by Kelly Jo Phelps entitled Tap the Red Cane Whirlwind. Now, I do believe this album is not in print anymore. However, it should be because this album is my Desert Island album. 
If I was told, Tone, you're gonna get dropped off on a desert island, you can only bring one album to listen to, this would be it, because I pretty much already listened to it nonstop. Anyway, now this album was recorded in 2004 and released on February 1st, 2005. It's a collection of solo live performances done at McCabe's Guitar Shop and Freight and Salvage, which are two awesome venues, I believe, in California. Uh, now, interesting story with this particular album. We're gonna listen to a track off of it, but uh, some years ago, I wanna say four or five years ago, I was doing a show opening for Jeffrey Foucault. Now, I'm a huge fan of Jeffrey. His, his songwriting is incredible, and just, just his lyrics and his playing and the whole atmosphere of his shows are incredible. So we were backstage talking, and for whatever reason, we got into the subject of best albums ever recorded. It could have possibly been best live albums ever recorded. And I said, oh, Kelly Joe Phelps, Tap the Red Cane Whirlwind. And Jeffrey says, oh, I, I opened for Kelly Joe on those shows. And I thought, how cool is that? Anyways, I wanted to share that with you. But without further ado, let's listen to a song off of Kelly Joe Phelps' album, Tap the Red Cane Whirlwind, entitled Cardboard Box of Batteries. Here it is. Never enough time to think it out. Only time to forget I'm here. Oh, and the bill is on the table. But I've got no coins for pay. Eight beer half circle around her name. And what the hell did she say? The number seven position is held by an album that is considered by some critics one of the most influential live guitar albums ever to be recorded. What's the album? Friday Night in San Francisco by Al Di Miola, Paco De Lucia, and John McLaughlin. This album, I remember getting this album, and I, re I remember pressing play and immediately being whisked away into this magical acoustic guitar world. Three very different players combining their forces to kind of create almost a guitar X-Men of sorts. This album is a must-own album. It was recorded live at the Warfield Theater on December 5th, 1980, and then later released in 1981. And I have to say, as an acoustic guitar geek, you have to own this album. I, I, I think there's a rule written in some guitar geek book somewhere that says you have to own Friday Night in San Francisco. Anyways, to give you further proof that you need to own this album, let's listen to Fantasia Suite by these three amazing musicians. <laughs> Album number six on my list is a legendary live album. It's Towns Van Zandt's Live at the Old Quarter. Now, this was recorded over a series of dates in July 1973, and it was later released in 1977. And to me, it's the quintessential live album. It's a legendary singer-songwriter on stage with just his guitar singing his legendary songs. But there's more. What makes this album one of the best, in my opinion, is the banter in between songs. It literally transports you directly to the old quarter. It's as if you're there. Now, to further paint a picture of the atmosphere at the old quarter during these shows, I wanna quote the 2007 biography To Live Is To Fly, the ballad of the late, great Towns Van Zant. There's a quick little excerpt in here I wanna share with you because it helps paint this wonderful picture of these very shows. Here's the quote. Van Zant played to nearly 100 folks per set. 
packed shoulder to shoulder within the bar's bare brick walls. The room was so jammed that it was impossible for a waitress to wind her way through the crowd to take drink orders. People had to pass money hand over fist and wait, in hopes that a mug of cold beer would eventually find its way back to them. How cool is that? So now that I've queued you up with the entire atmosphere and how amazing this album is, let's listen to a track off of it entitled, If I Needed You. Well, if I needed you, would you come to me? Would you come to me and ease my pain? If you needed me, I would come to you. I'd swim the seas for to ease your pain. Moving on to the number five spot of the countdown, and I have a surprise for you. The number five spot is actually held by two albums. Yes, there's a tie for number five. And each of these albums is equally impactful. Each of these albums is equally revolutionary for the acoustic guitar. And these albums are actually pretty similar. So I'm gonna take it one by one. The first album coming in at the number five spot is Nirvana's Unplugged in New York. Recorded on November 18th, 1993 and released November 1st, 1994. This album is a revolutionary album because it exposed the acoustic guitar to a whole wave of music lovers that otherwise maybe wouldn't really delve into the acoustic guitar. Furthermore, the song selection, the songs Nirvana played during their performance were very niche songs. They didn't play their hits. They kind of dug deep into the coffers, did some covers, did some lesser known songs. And to me, this helped a lot of folks discover other types of music, myself included. I always thought the song, Where Did You Sleep Last Night? was a Nirvana song. Turns out it's a traditional song most associated with Lead Belly. I never would have even heard that song if it wasn't for this album. And I know for a fact that I'm not the only one that had that experience. So with all that being said, let's go ahead and listen to that very song. Here's Where Did You Sleep Last Night off of Nirvana's Unplugged in New York album. The second album in the number five spot, and you may have guessed this already, is Eric Clapton's Unplugged album. It was recorded January 16th, 1992 and released August 25th, 1992. Tom, why did you include this album and why does it have to be a tie? Well, I think this album sits right next to Nirvana's Unplugged in New York in terms of its impact and the, the way that it exposed the acoustic guitar. Let me explain. I'm gonna get some obvious things out of the way first. Um, Eric Clapton's Unplugged album is a three-time Grammy Award winner. Pretty amazing. Yeah, in 1993, it pretty much swept the Grammys. Well, it won three awards, which I guess in my mind is a sweep. Furthermore, it became the best-selling live album of all time. And let me get this number right. Selling 26 million copies worldwide. Worldwide. <laughs> a pretty crazy stat. Now, let's think of the time period here. 1992. The acoustic guitar was effectively dead in 1992. And MTV's Unplugged series revived it, in my opinion. I think without MTV's Unplugged series, we would have seen a delay in how popular the acoustic guitar became, this revival, if you will. And I think because Eric Clapton's Unplugged album was such a popular album, because it sold so many copies, I think this particular album led the charge in reviving the acoustic guitar as we know it today. 
and seeing this intimate performance was something that people really didn't see up until this point. So yes, Eric Clapton's Unplugged album has to be right in there at the number five spot, right next to Nirvana's Unplugged album. And I found this wonderful track that I wanna share with you. This is the song, Hey Hey, which I believe is a Big Bill Brunzi song. And it's not the song that made the cut. It's actually part of the rehearsal for the unplugged taping. Check this out. Here we are on the final four albums of The Countdown, and I'm super excited to share these with you because each of these albums represents a very different style of fingerstyle guitar, and there are some names on this list. Oh my God. But we're gonna do this one album at a time because my head just might explode if I try and do it all at once. So coming in at the number four position is Elizabeth Cotton's live album. Released in 1983, and then just one year later in 1984, it won a Grammy for the best ethnic and traditional recording and it also ended up being her last album. This album contains all the things you'd want from a live album, and again, I'm gonna cite the banter as one of the coolest things about this particular album. It's so cool to hear her talk in between songs, tell stories, and just kind of express her persona, if you will. So all that being said, let's listen to a track off of the album. This is a, a combo, a medley of sorts, the Spanish Flangdang and a jig. Here it is. <laughs> Album number three on the countdown is John Fahey's Live in Tasmania. Yes, representing the American primitive fingerstyle guitar end of the spectrum. This album comes with a great story that I'm gonna share with you, but I have to say this album is a wonderful example of John Fahey playing live. Now that sentence is not said all that much because usually John Fahey was too intoxicated to perform in the first place. This was a rare occurrence where he wasn't. He performed quite well, and it's just a great example of his playing style. That being said, the story I wanna share with you does involve intoxication, but in a different manner. This album was released in 1981, and here's the story. After 18 studio albums, Fahey released this live album from a concert in Tasmania, set up, according to the original liner notes, on a drunken whim. It was recorded on four days notice at the University of Tasmania on October 15th, 1980, when Fahey was touring Australia. Pretty crazy stuff, and the, the album is a delight to listen to. It's it's really good. It's 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 a wonderful step into John Fahey's compositional world. So let's listen to a track off of that album entitled "Steamboat Going Around the Bend." number two spot is Michael Hedges live on the double planet. Yes, representing the modern fingerstyle guitar end of the spectrum. This particular album caught me by surprise because when I was first getting into fingerstyle guitar, specifically modern fingerstyle guitar, I bought all the Michael Hedges albums I could get my hands on. 
and I was just just basking in the glow, in the in the delight, in the sonic bath of beautiful modern fingerstyle music from one of the, if not the, modern fingerstyle guitar trailblazer. So I pop in live from the Double Planet, and Michael Hedges is singing, and I'm like, he's got an awesome voice as well, and he's doing all these wonderful covers on this album. So to me, this album represents the diversity that Michael Hedges offered the musical world. Yes, he's, he's a ridiculous composer and amazing, I mean, jaw-dropping modern fingerstyle guitar player, but he also sings and pays reverence to some iconic songs on this particular album. So it's his talent on full display that, that led me to include this album on this list. That being the case, let's listen to a cover that he did on that album entitled, you might have heard this one before, All Along the Watchtower. the view while all the women came and went yes you've arrived at the number one spot the number one album on my countdown of the 10 best live acoustic albums ever and the album i've chosen for the number one spot is an album that you won't be able to guess it's an album that is usually left off of a lot of lists just like these, but it shouldn't be because it's damn good. Coming in at number one is Leo Kotke Live. I've got a story with this one. I'll tell, you, I'll tell it to you in a second. It was released October 1995 and recorded April 1995 at the Fox Theater in Boulder, Colorado. Tone, how did this make your number one spot? There are so many reasons this album is number one for me. And firstly, it's the fact that this is Leo Kotke absolutely slaying the guitar. Melting faces, whatever, however you describe, just, just absolutely shredding, that's what happens on this album. It's, it's truly uh, amazing to listen to. I'm at a loss for words, which is amazing in and of itself. Um, th this really shows the diversity of Leo Kotke, and it also has that banter I keep referring to. And Leo Kotke has this wonderful dry sense of humor that I find quite funny. But there's, there's a third reason why this album is number one. This is the first live acoustic album that I ever really heard. I was given this album, I was given, this album was given to me by my Uncle Paul in a whole stack of CDs. And I remember seeing it and I'm like, I never, I've never even heard of this guy. I throw it in anyway. I threw it in and I was like, whoa, what is happening here? Uh, so it's that very response that led me to include this album on the list at the number one position. So let's go ahead and listen to a track off of that album entitled Airproofing. Alright TAC family, it is your turn. I've shared with you my 10 favorite live acoustic albums of all time. Now it's your turn to speak up. Was there something that didn't make my list that you thought should have? 
Was there some weird album that nobody's ever heard of that maybe you've heard of and you want to share with your fellow guitar geeks? Make sure to let me know in the comments below, but please do remember the criteria. It has to be live and it has to have acoustic instrumentation throughout. I want to hear about your albums. Again, go ahead and leave them in the comments below. In nearly every single Acoustic Tuesday show, I say the following. Your guitar success, however you define it, is directly related to your guitar routine. So invest the time in developing your guitar routine and make sure to have fun every single day that you play. Well, TAC family member Pam has taken this advice to a T and it's paying off big time. In the last Tony's Acoustic Challenge 90 Day Progress Party, Pam shared what her guitar goals are, she shared the details of her guitar routine, and she shed some light on how powerful 10 minutes of guitar playing per day actually is. So without further ado, let's hear what Pam had to say. Here are her thoughts on her guitar goals going forward over the next 90 days. Well, it's kind of a follow-on from the past 90 days in that um, I, um, I started guitar about two and a half years ago, and I started tech about 11 months ago. Okay. And so what I realized as I started going through tech is I had, I had not done the basics well. So my last 90 days were spent on the basics, primarily chord transitions nice. and being able to do them smoothly and cleanly, like you were just saying. And, um, and that worked out really well. I definitely improved. It's not a hundred percent, but I, I definitely saw some improvement in the last 90 days. So that was, that was a, a definite win. Um, so going forward, I want to add more fun to it and do um, learn a couple finger style because that's my goal ultimately is to really be good at finger style. And so I'm adding in Norwegian Wood and Blackbird by the Beatles, very nice. simple versions um, in finger style while also continuing to work on the chord transitions. What a great set of goals. I love how Pam built a solid fingerstyle foundation, and now she's choosing to mix in some songs, some simple fingerstyle arrangements of songs to up the fun factor. So what's the guitar routine that's gonna help Pam achieve these goals? Well, she also shared that during our 90-day progress party, and I have to say, for those of you with a chaotic schedule, Pam's recipe for a guitar routine might just help you out as well. Um, the routine I use um, is that I, I play every day you know my goal is six days a week I usually play seven um, but my timing has to be like others have mentioned uh, my schedule isn't always um, easy to predict so what I found is I say one o'clock is when I when I practice if for some reason that doesn't work out I have to get it in before five and oh, that nice. seems to be working because I know if I go past five it's never going to happen Sure. But uh, if one doesn't work to me, and once I get started, I, I typically go um, 30 to 60 minutes nice. um, because it's just it's just fun. And I've got a little all it is is a desk and a, and a guitar. And, you know, and that's that's where I do it. But I, I'm just loving it. And tact has been uh, the best that I've ever found because I start with the, the daily challenges and it kind of gets me in a groove and I have warm up exercises from those. And, and then I get into the fun stuff. And um, so I've actually seen really good progress. I think, you know, for, for an old lady that's only started playing guitar a couple of years ago. 
I think it's so admirable that Pam's able to maintain a regular guitar playing routine, despite having a schedule that's kind of up in the air. Now, one of the key ingredients to her routine is playing for a minimum of 10 minutes per day. And she shed some light on the power of 10 minutes. And here's a little excerpt of our conversation during that 90 day progress party. We get a lot of, I, I, and you may have heard this from other folks too, but there's, there's this, this question that comes after 10 minutes. It's, it's oftentimes it's like 10 minutes. It's a very skeptical, like yeah. how that, how is 10 minutes going to even make you better? But you just, you actually just outlined why it works because it's a small enough chunk to sink your teeth into. Mm -hmm. And then as that, all of a sudden you're sitting down with a guitar and you're like, well, I've been here for 10 minutes. Why? I got time. I may as well continue. Uh, so it's exactly. that, it's that starter step. Exactly. And it, it, it's always worked that way, even when, you know, and, and yet the other, the flip side of that, the times that I've really been rushed and hectic, you know, I get 10 minutes in and I have to stop. I still feel good about it because nice. it, at least I got my 10 minutes in. Huge guitar geek thanks to Pam for sharing the details of her guitar goals and her guitar routine. She had a chance to share that during our last Tony's Acoustic Challenge 90 day progress party. Now, for those of you who are Tony's Acoustic Challenge members, please mark your calendars because our next 90 day progress party is on October 6th and it's at 11 a.m. Mountain Time. This is a chance for all the Tony's Acoustic Challenge family to get together, share your goals, share your guitar routine, and also share some tips and tricks that might help, well, your other fellow guitar geeks. So again, mark your calendar for October 6th at 11 a.m. Mountain Time for the next Tony's Acoustic Challenge 90-day progress party. It's time for acoustic news you can use, and I have a plethora of things to share with you today. A, a cornucopia of acoustic news nuggets, if you will, so let's go ahead and dig in. I was in Las Vegas a couple weekends ago. I was actually there with both of my brothers-in-law and my father-in-law. We were celebrating my father-in-law's 70th birthday, and while in Vegas, yes, we went to Heartbreaker Guitars. We visited Brendan. We visited Toby. We had a blast hanging out there for three or more hours playing some amazing instruments. I ended up leaving with a Husson Dalton Crossroads Deluxe Maple Back and Sides, small body instrument, just a killer finger picker. I also played a ton of amazing guitars there. And I have to say, Furt Guitars is blowing me away. They're raising the bar in a major, major way. Um, just had a blast, just had a blast hanging out with Brendan. So a uh, huge thanks to you, Brendan and Toby, of course, for hanging with us uh, during our time at the shop there. If you're ever in Vegas, make sure to visit Heartbreaker Guitars. You will not be disappointed. Moving on to the next news nugget. Uh, Jerry Garcia's 1943 D28 found a new home. I found this article on AcousticGuitar.com. So to read the full article, make sure to check it out. But I'm just going to read a little snippet so you get the idea. Here it is. Andy Logan is more than a guitar collector. Yes, he owns instruments with historic pedigrees, like the two axes he picked up at Bonham's auction in December 2019 from the estate of Jerry Garcia. His marquee purchase was Garcia's famed Alligator Strat for a whopping $420,000. $420,000. I just got the 420 thing there. Uh, anyways, uh, but that day he also picked up Garcia's well-worn 1943 D28 for a more modest $175,000. It's cool owning original instruments played by your heroes, but Logan's Grateful Dead obsession goes much further. Again, I want to encourage you to check out that article on AcousticGuitar.com. It goes on to get into some of the details of that particular instrument, as well as what this Andy Logan does with these instruments, and he does not put them behind glass. He actually gets them to players that are going to use them because, well, instruments are made to be played. Now, one quick little factoid, this 1943 D28 owned by Jerry Garcia was along for the ride 
during the Festival Express, which was a tour through Canada where the Grateful Dead, Janis Joplin, the band, Buddy Guy, amongst many others, rode a train through Canada playing various dates. Well, on the train, they jammed a whole bunch, and this, gu this guitar was used a whole heck of a lot, so you can actually see it in action. That's pretty cool. I found some footage that the audio wasn't very good, but it shows this guitar being used, and I thought, well, that was pretty darn amazing. Our next acoustic news nugget, if you will, comes from the North American guitar. Now, if you have not heard of the North American guitar, they are one of the best, if not the best, acoustic guitar shop in the world. You should also check out their digital publication, The Connoisseur. Check it out in the App Store. It's absolutely amazing. But this video that they just released is a D18 shootout that every guitar player, every D18 lover needs to take in because they had a Blazer and Henke D18, a Wayne Henderson D18, and a Jim Merrill D18. If you've never heard of these builders, these are top tier small bench luthiers who impart their own voice on these instruments. So I think it's really cool to see three different guitars made of the same materials, but voiced entirely differently. And Jordan at the North American Guitar did a great job demoing these guitars. Let's listen to all three of them right now. Speaking of famous guitars getting new homes, Les Paul's number one, Les Paul, is going on the auction block in October. Now, I really went down the rabbit hole on this, and I don't have time to share all of my findings, but all I know is that Les Paul's number one, Les Paul, is going to auction in October. And then I found a website dedicated to Les Paul's number one. You can visit it at lespaulthenumberone.com. There's a whole story behind this guitar, all sorts of footage, interviews, you name it, it's all there. I thought this guitar was significant. I know it's electric, but you know what? It's a significant guitar, and I wanted to share it on the Acoustic Tuesday show. I make the rules, I break the rules. It's Acoustic Tuesday. We made a little bit of an adjustment for this electric guitar because it is so darn important. Again, for all those details, make sure to check out that Les Paul, the number one.com website. Moving on to, uh, yeah, Luca Stricagnoli is at it again. He's at it again. You know, I, I think to myself, I feel like every acoustic news section I feature Luca, but watching him play is just, it's inspirational, so I want to include another performance from him. Here's Luca Stricagnoli playing the Michael Jackson tune, Smooth Criminal, on a triple-necked guitar. I don't know how he does it, folks, but he continues to do it, and it's, it's continually jaw-dropping. Here he is. <laughs> As a guitar geek, what kind of car should you drive? Well, if you lived back in the 60s and 70s, you'd drive this car. 
This is the Vox car. Now, I don't really have any story behind this other than that this picture popped up on my Instagram and I thought to myself, man, for the true guitar geek, you should drive a car like this, the Vox car. Why don't they do things like this anymore? Why doesn't Martin have a car? Why doesn't Gibson have a car? I know Gibson has the van, but you know what? They should have a car that's shaped like a guitar. Come on, people. Why doesn't Taylor have a spaceship shaped like a guitar? I guess all the people are building spaceships now. Come on, let's, let's up the level of, of guitar geek transportation available to us guitar geeks. Rant over. I just wanted you to see the Vox car. I thought it was really cool. Kind of a little time capsule there. Anyways, moving on to the final piece of news I have for you today. This is another... Uh, amazing arrangement. Alexander Misko, who I've featured on the show before, is a wildly inspirational fingerstyle acoustic guitar player. He does the slaps, he does the taps, he does the two-handed thing, but I have never seen this. He uses a contraption behind the bridge on his acoustic guitar, which I believe is made by Hipshot. I don't know that for fact, but I suspect it's made by the folks at Hipshot. Anyways, it bends the strings to pitch. And he created this piece of music, I think it's an original composition, that I'm watching this and there's so much going on, I had to watch it three or four times to figure out what the hell he was doing in the first place. I just wanted you to see the contraption, so, well, here's Alexander Misko. sweet, beautifully bent notes, I think it's a great time to wrap up the Acoustic Tuesday show. But before I do that, let's take a sneak peek into next week. And next week on the Acoustic Tuesday show, we'll be talking about acoustic guitar DIs. What are they? Why do you need one? And we're going to do a shootout between some of my favorite DIs. Yes, next week's Acoustic Tuesday show is going to be action-packed. So I want you to not miss that show. Remember, you can catch the Acoustic Tuesday show every single Tuesday at 10 a.m. Mountain Time here on YouTube. And also, please remember this. Your guitar success, however you define it, is directly related to your guitar routine. So please invest the time in developing your guitar routine and make sure to have fun every single day that you play. Is there an echo in here? I feel like I said that before. Uh, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for being a guitar geek and thank you for watching the Acoustic Tuesday show. Until next Tuesday, have a fantastic week full of guitar playing at least 10 minutes a day. Cheers to you, Guitar Geeks Unite, and I'll see you next Tuesday on the Acoustic Tuesday show.